Welcome to Streamed and Screened, a podcast about movies and TV from Lee Enterprises, uh, hosted by Bruce Miller. Hello, Bruce. I am here. I am here. An entertainment reporter for a great many years and the editor of the Sioux City Journal, Jared McNett. Say hello, Jared. Hello, Jared. <laughs> a reporter for the Sioux City Journal and me, Chris Lay. Hi, I'm Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee Enterprises. This week, uh, Bruce has an interview with the creative team behind A League of Their Own, which premieres on Amazon Prime. That interview is with Abby Jacobson and... And Shantae Adams, who are the stars as well. They play baseball players, oddly enough. Would that make sense? <laughs> And we will do a preview of that and we'll throw to that interview towards the end. So definitely stick around for that. Uh, we're going to round up some of the best high stakes games centric movies as part of our preview of the new A24 horror movie, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. But first, we'll be catching up on some of the stuff that we talked about last week. Jared, I know before we jumped on, you were talking about Bullet Train. Bruce, did you see Bullet Train too? I did. I got myself out of my deathbed and I went to Bullet Train. Is that is was it was it worth being so thoroughly revived or did it? Well, I had a a, a recliner seat, so that helped. You know, truly, they could have done a lot more with this premise. They were too caught up with all of the little bells and whistles that they had at their disposal. And boy, Quentin Tarantino must be a god in somebody's house because. <laughs> I kept going back to that. Like, uh, this feels like this was one of those movies that was made in the 90s after Pulp Fiction that was like trying to ape Quentin Tarantino. And then the other thing that I found very strange about this. Oh, and it's going to be a spoiler alert. So just can I make it do a spoiler alert? Do you mind? I will. Yes. OK, so here's a spoiler. Channing Tatum and uh, Sandra Bullock are in this. They did The Lost City. Yep. And Brad Pitt made a cameo in that. So this must be tat. They had tit for tat on this kind of thing, and they both appeared in each other's movies. I wouldn't even doubt that these weren't filmed at the same time. But it's like, hmm, is this now the new world order? So then they can sit around for two years and do nothing. You think it's a bunch of guys in one of their their agency boardrooms just high five and left and right? Hey, we got a little time on Thursday. Go on in and sit in the chair and act like you are dumb. Okay. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> So, okay, spoiler alert off. But um, Brian Tyree Henry, I thought, was the best person in the whole thing. Absolutely. He really uh, brought something different. And because we've seen him in so many different guises over the last couple of years, it works. But then you have these other ones where you go, oh, God, didn't that one die already? I'm tired of them. I've seen these trains in, in China, and um, I don't know that you could do all this crap on this thing. Somebody wanted to be Tom Cruise, too, at the same point. And I like Brad Pitt. I like Brad Pitt. Of course. It was weird to watch something that at a lot of times moves at the pace that this one does, because the, the whole point of it is, you know, there's a lot of frantic stuff going on. But there was almost maybe too much frantic action that they were trying to cram in, because I was never really able to latch on to anything that was happening throughout the entire movie. And I think a part of that is just because of the rhythms of it. Like, it was almost impossible for a lot of different times to to feel that caught up in the uh, the action at all. And apparently this was originally going to be developed with like Anton uh, Fuqua and it would have been a much more grounded action thriller. And I almost would have loved to have seen that more if the cast was still 
somewhat similar, like the having that kind of talent, but with him doing it, I, I think I might've been more interested in seeing that than this. Was it as bloody and violent as everyone seems to be latching on to? Yeah, it is. And then there's a snake in there and you throw a snake <laughs> in and you might as well just send, send me running. Snakes on a train. Snakes on a train. I had to laugh about that because, you know, there was like after Snakes on a Plane came out, that company, The Asylum, that puts out all those like weird ripoff movies. There was like a Snakes on a Train movie in like 2006. So I'm like, are we doing uh, a thing from a thing that was ripping off Snakes on a Plane? Like, what is, what is this here now? There also is a real big push that this is good. They all have been have wanting to get into the Asian market. I mean, uh-huh. honest to God, you name a, a movie that isn't somehow pitched to the Asian market and you're missing it because that's where they think all the money is. And so as a result, they have all these kind of things that are really, yeah, I get it, but it doesn't add anything to the premise or to what you're trying to do. I mean, really, it could be set in a whole other country. You wouldn't know. It feels like a movie that I'm almost excited to go and just not care about, but just hit me about the the head and shoulders region. Like, I mean, is that pretty apt? That's a good movie for this. Yeah, it doesn't stick. It isn't something that you're going to be talking about after you get out of it. I mean, that's fine by me. Brad Pitt is good. I mean, he shows a little more energy than we've seen in the last few kind of roles he's had. He's he's trying hard, so he's got to be a producer behind the whole thing. And um, he seems a little younger than he seemed in, seemed in past films, and that helps, and he drives the truck really well. Drives the truck? Well, he does it well. I don't want to be another <laughs> spoiler alert. I don't want to be another spoiler alert. But... Um, uh, he does drive something toward the end, but I'll tell you, he though uh, is is very energetic, and you tell see him selling these like Tom Cruise sells his films. And I think it maybe needed a few fewer characters and maybe a little more plotting, because a lot of it is just let's do a goofy stunt that the Three Stooges might have tried. How about if you're going to have Michael Shannon, maybe have him more than like five minutes of actual time where we see Michael Shannon? Honest to God. When Michael Shannon shows up, I go, oh, my God, I forgot he was going to be in this. Michael Shannon is like one of my favorite actors. I genuinely love seeing Michael Shannon and stuff. And for him to show up in the last five minutes or so and really not have that much to do was very frustrating. Well, there are actors who resemble other kinds of actors. There's like an Asian Benicio Del Toro. Mm -hmm. At one point you go, oh, Okay, I see what you're getting here. But just when you think they're dead, they come back. That's the bottom line in Bullet Train. And I think you want to dispense of some of these people. You want to play Murder on the Orient Express and try and get rid of people. Yeah. And it doesn't it doesn't hit. Jared, you also mm-hmm. said you saw Prey yes. over the weekend, the new Predator entry. I genuinely loved it. And it, it's a shame that this didn't come out in theaters because... It would have been some of the most fun I had in a theater the entire year if it actually came out in a theater. It's the perfect kind of movie for that. It's very big in in some of the parts. The action set pieces with the Predator are fantastic and as is want to be for Predator movies, like very gory once the Predator really gets going. And this was a really cool ripple for all the Predator stuff. Like it's one that's set in the 1700s in like the northern great plains amongst like a tribe of comanche warriors basically and it tracks a uh, a young girl or i guess like a teenage girl in particular 
who basically is the one that ends up having to protect her tribe from the predator that starts um hunting them and like it's not a high bar to clear but it's definitely the predator movie that had the most things to actually say and it didn't feel like any of that was just like pasted on top kind of crudely afterward to be about something more than just the predator it actually felt like it was woven into the story which i i really appreciated and the scenes that are in the daytime because they're like shooting them in what's supposed to be the planes i don't know if they actually shot them there or not they're absolutely uh gorgeous and there really was not a weak point in the in the movie for me watching it how good are they doing the native american stuff well, really, and I actually watched because there's um, like an English version and then there was like a Comanche uh, version. And I just ended up watching it that way because I thought that would be uh, just a better and more apt experience. And I, I thought that that was perfect. That's one of the most interesting elements of it, just from a linguistic standpoint. Because, I mean, there's so many of those Native American languages that are the number of people that are speaking these languages day in and day out is minimal you know so the idea that that's being (laughs) that's being you know put on some historical record via a predator prequel (laughs) is just magnificent to me it makes me very happy for the first time ever too if i remember correctly Mm -hmm. i think that this is yeah, yeah this is the first time there's been a movie that had a full dub that was in in comanche which is kind of crazy to think about that it was for for this movie but it it made sense yep so they didn't film it in comanche they dubbed it in comanche Yes. I saw something that's coming on Friday. It's called 13 the Musical. It's on Netflix. And um, it really wants to be high school musical, the musical, the musical, the musical, the musical, the musical, the musical. It's very much in that vein. It was a, a kind of a fun Broadway show that was populated just by teenagers. They had to be 13 to be able to end the show. And at the time, Ariana Grande was one of the actors in the Broadway show. They have kind of taken it out of its specialness uh, category because they've added adults in this thing. And you know that kids aren't playing the music. You know that kids aren't, you know, doing other things behind the scenes. So it's just kind of like another high school musical. And it's about a boy who moves from New York to Indiana, very much uh, initially like Footloose, where he thinks he's going to get this, you know, oh, this is going to be the worst place ever. And I don't want to live here and everybody's going to be against me. And then you get into the like a day and he's suddenly with all the popular kids and he's plotting his bar mitzvah. He wants to make sure that he has the best bar mitzvah ever. And it's going to be just lit and we're going to just love everybody and it's going to be great. What's it going to be, Bruce? Yeah, it's going to be lit. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the strange thing about this, okay? Deborah Messing plays the boy's mother and she looks like she could be his grandmother. And it's like, this is a disconnect, a definite disconnect. The kids are great. The kids are all great. They can sing and dance. They can do all that kind of stuff, but you can see that the music and lyrics are far smarter than the plot. And that's where it it runs kind of a foul is that it needed a better script because it's pretty thin in terms of the popular girl wants to derail a relationship and, you don't need all that. The kids do go visit a horror film, though, by the way. If you like High School Musical, watch it. It has nothing to offend you. The kids might really find a lot of fun out of it. That starts Friday on Netflix. From Netflix, I watched 
all 10 episodes of The Sandman, which I know that I've, I went off on a lot uh, last week. We've talked a ton about the idea of adaptations, and I really enjoyed it based on a 75, 76 issue comic book series from DC Vertigo by Neil Gaiman. And it's the first, I don't know, 18 issues, give or take, almost anthologized in the TV show, but the casting's fantastic. The concepts are all there. They all translated pretty well. I thought the effects were a lot of fun. There's certain things that didn't quite make it across as far as some of the more fantastical elements occasionally that worked in the comic books didn't quite look as good, but would a non Sandman person like it? I think so. Yeah. So my mom, my mom texted me on Friday, put that comic book down. You don't need that. I never in a million years would have said, mom, you have to read Sandman. It's going to blow your mind. But my mom on Friday, she just texted me Sandman. <laughs> no question mark. No, no exclamation mark. Just Sandman. <laughs> she appreciated. I mean, she said that it, it made her think about a bunch of stuff. So it conceptually definitely hit her in, in a place that I thought was really interesting to hear. So yeah, the idea of somebody coming into it cold without any awareness of the lore, it carried through. So many of the, the ideas and the concepts that were outlined from the very beginning, it's a pretty easy translation in a lot of ways, just because the themes and the stories are just so well constructed to begin with that you don't have to add a whole lot to them. It's just a matter of making it not clunky. There aren't that many aspects that necessarily need to be updated or deconstructed and then remade in the way that the Watchmen series was, I mean, and done incredibly well. I think it really falls somewhere between the panel to panel comparison of the Watchmen film and the intense introspection re overhaul kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it, but I say that as someone who I'm not going to be extremely upset if a translation like that fails because the comics are just that great. Another actor I'm a big fan of, uh, Chris, I understand that uh, David Thewlis is in it and uh, is one of the uh, the strong points of, uh, of Sandman. David Thewlis, Charles Dance, Patton Oswalt is the voice of Matthew the Raven. One of the best things about it, about the, the translation, was that, you know, so many of the characters aren't necessarily characters. They're just concepts. Like in the comic book, the character Death is you know, this pale goth chick who influenced a lot of like the, you know, goth fashion sense style, whatever in the eighties in, in a lot of ways, but because it's just a concept, it can be anything. They cast Kirby Howell Baptista's death, who is a woman of color. And I mean, so you can, you can cast entirely on ability and it doesn't have to be married to ethnicity per se. Same thing with Lucian, the, the librarian uh, character that I've always, <laughs> as a librarian slash archivist, I've always uh, resonated with. These are, again, these are the things that you just go, mm, these are people far too intense for my own good <laughs> to really sit and watch this and then have them dissect everything three weeks later and go, oh, the ball was really our future. You go, <laughs> What? 
It's that kind of a thing where the, everything means something else. I want you to watch it, Bruce. All right, I will. I want to, even if it's just you and me and mom having a happy hour drink, like off the, off the clock. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll get mom on. I'll get mom on. Because I think mom and I would have the same kind of take on this. My mom listens. My mom is a a, a friend of the pod. Good. We might be calling her on the next one. I would love to do that. But yeah, so we can jump into the, the stuff that is actually coming out soon. Bodies, 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 which is the new horror movie from A24, sort of a quote unquote woke horror film in the vibe that they are known for. It's directed by Helena Rain and co-written by Christina Rupanian and Sarah Delop and Kristen Rupanian. I didn't realize this until I started digging into this. Do you, either of you guys remember the story Cat Person? It was a short story from The New Yorker a few years ago that went insanely viral. A story I refused to read because there are just certain things when they go viral, I just consciously avoid them as much as possible. So that ended up being one of those things. I can't blame you for, for not digging in on that because of the, the virality aspect, but it was a pretty interesting short story. Shot her to fame. I think she immediately got... Uh, story collection deal and agents and whatever that that actually is a movie that's coming out later this year i believe or early next year but bodies 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 has nothing to do with that um it sounds dirty is it jared would you say that bodies 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 looks dirty it seems like they are going to try to cram in as many different things to push boundaries as possible with violence and maybe also some sex stuff and then also some drug stuff because like basically the setup is like it's this group of like i don't know i guess they're supposed to be probably like what 20 somethings maybe they're all like hanging out and like partying in someone's like mansion type of deal and they decide to play this like murder in the dark type game and then the game starts to go very poorly and one of the uh people gets uh killed and then they immediately turns into like a mystery of sorts but a, a very raucous type mystery this sounds like one of James Franco's parties. <laughs> <laughs> Pete Davidson is in it uh, as, I guess, maybe not the marquee, but he's definitely the biggest name in there. Also stars Maria Bakalova, who you guys will remember as Tutor from Borat, yes. subsequent movie film, the Oscar-nominated actress. <laughs> also has Amanda Stenberg from the Hunger Games films and Rachel Senat who I have talked about previously from Shiba Baby. That was one of my favorite films of 2020. But yeah, with that movie being kind of a a very high stakes game situation, we were going to round up some of the the best movies that have that high stakes game. The Hunger Games. (laughs) You're throwing up the Hunger Games first? No, but it's that, remember that whole period where we got that and Divergent and all those ones where it's like... And Maze Runner. Maze Runner, which was the one that Virgin, I think, never finished, did they? They got to something that said, ah, we're going direct to video. We're fine with the last one. Yep. And they are bringing back Hunger Games, by the way, in case you're looking for another round of that. Just what we're clamoring for. Jared, do you have any uh, high stakes games movies? Well, it's really going to bring the the mood down, but I do. Let's hear it, man. Cannot uh, stress enough, this is not a movie 
for everyone or not even a movie for most people. And it's a movie that you should really be in a very specific headspace to watch. And that is the 1997 Austrian movie by Michael Haneke, uh, Funny Games, which very much is a series of high stakes games that are not actually funny or fun in the least bit. Basically, the premise of it is it's a home invasion movie. Two very polite young Austrian men show up at this family's like vacation home and then they torture them with a number of different games that they kind of come up with. Sort of a through line of the movie is this idea of like just because someone is polite does not at all mean that they are a good person because, again, the two like sadists that are at the center of this movie are as nice and as polite as can be, except for the fact that they are just completely menacing this family. And there's not a lot of <laughs> reprieve in the movie because at one point the family manages to. I'm going to stop you because okay. that's I mean, that, that we're certainly heading in towards the, the last third of that film. And I I will absolutely agree with you, though, that that is one of the most uncomfortable movies that I have ever seen twice. (laughs) It's incredibly well made and it will take a lot out of you. But it's a movie that if you are totally okay with watching demanding kind of movies, it's well worth watching because there's a lot of craft in it. And there is plenty that that movie is trying to get at in terms of the way we handle violence in movies. And again, this idea of like being polite versus actually being a good person. And yeah, it's a great movie and is games related in a lot of ways. Although again, not fun games. Is it tortury like Saw? It isn't horror in in the way that Saw is tortury in that. It is tortury, but it doesn't take you out of it because it act, it's all much more realistic and it's never something over the top. Grounded. Yeah. The conception of the two bad guys is perfect also because they're both wearing like all white. There's nothing menacing about them in the least bit until they really get going on the family. You don't want to spoil any of the twists and turns there because, I mean, it, it does a lot with this very simple premise and stretches things out. I'm going to toss out one that is a change of pace from that for sure, <laughs> but still very much in the same same vibe. And I feel like once I say this, Bruce is going to just brighten up here. It's a movie called The Last of Sheila. Oh, wow. You ever seen The Last of Sheila? Well, in like 1902. I mean, it's old. It's from 1973. Yeah. It was directed by Herbert Ross, who did Footloose, Steel Magnolias, and Played Against Sam, My Blue Heaven. Turning point. From a script by Stephen Sondheim and Anthony Perkins, the only two, I think, original films that they did separately or together, for that matter. It's kind of a hangout movie for a bunch of actors from a certain era. You know, it's got James Mason, Ian McShane, Raquel Welch, <laughs> Richard Benjamin, Diane Cannon, James Coburn. It's uh, a bunch of people on a, on a yacht playing a scavenger mystery game thing until things turn deadly. And it's really underrated. People should absolutely see it if, if they haven't. So that's that's my contribution. Bruce, what do you got? Game night. Let's talk game night. I thought that's... that was that's like a good two thirds of a movie. And then it doesn't really kind of bring it home, I don't think. But it's fun to see the game night people because you know those people and you know the cutthroat ones that are there that are out to win the game at all costs and how it just devolves into this, oh my God, kill or be killed. 
Jesse Plemons is character as like the next door neighbor in that is fantastic. And he has a back and forth with uh, Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams about Tostitos scoops. That is still like one of my favorite bits from like any comedy of like the past decade. Perfect deadpan on Jesse Plemons's part. And he is just such a delight in that movie. Directed by John Francis Daly and Jonathan M. Goldstein. John Francis Daly is, he was the, the kid. Freaks and Geeks, wasn't he? Yep. The main kid from Freaks and Geeks, which that's a such an interesting turn of events for, for his career. And uh, I can't tell if that has hit a critical mass to make it a cult film yet. Because I mean, I feel like that and Blockers and... Same year. Relatively inexpensive comedies that I feel like came out that didn't get as much love, but are slowly growing. And Game Night is certainly one of them. Jared... What other way are you going to torture us? I guess I'm stuck in 1997 because another one well worth throwing out, The Game, the uh, the David Fincher movie that was the follow-up of his to uh, Seven. Michael Douglas, really Michael Douglas, and then everyone else is definitely a second banana and a distant uh, second banana. And basically the plot of it is that uh, Michael Douglas is this very well-to-do banker who's out of touch with himself out of touch with the world around him and his um, brother who's played by uh, Sean Penn gives him this gift that is like to take part in this game that sort of melds with like everyday life and as the movie kind of goes along for Michael Douglas's character what is like real life and what is the game becomes blurred more and more and it starts to take on uh, bits of like a conspiracy movie as you kind of go along. It would have been a good pick um, when we were talking about conspiracy movies on a past episode. And of any of David Fincher's movies, it might be one of the most plot heavy because there is definitely a lot of like twists and turns in this particular movie. But it's like a fun thrill ride, a great uh, showcase for for Michael Douglas and. The last little bit of it, as it starts to kind of race toward the the conclusion of uh, this game and what exactly is going on, is is a great uh, closing. So that's another one if you want a high stakes uh, game movie. I mean, Fincher just can't touch it. The one that I'm going to throw out is a movie called Cheap Thrills. It's all over the streaming platforms right now. You can catch it on Hulu. You can catch it on Shutter. It's on Fandor of all places if you want to get into that. It stars Pat Healy, Ethan Embry, and David Koechner. A night of getting really drunk at a bar ends up with a guy challenging a couple guys that are down on their luck to do horrible things for money. Everything just kind of escalates very, very slowly from, you know, something small up to almost like bum fights level horrific things. But cheap thrills. There you go. Bruce? Promising young woman. That's a scary one. And it is a game that you don't realize is a game. What can I say? If I said too much, I'd spoil it. And that's on HBO Max. It's also on Cinemax. Uh, Emerald Fennel won the Best Screenplay Oscar for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Promising Young Woman, 2020 Oscar winner. Jared, what do you got, man? None of mine are upbeat in the least bit. And I don't know. High stakes games tend to be... (laughs) A little tough. But even by that standard, I feel like I'm really walking through the valley of the shadow of death with these. Uh, if you're any less upbeat than than Promising Young Woman, then 
<laughs> well, I think I might be because my next pick is from 1978, and it's the Deer Hunter. Yeesh, yeah, you uh, you did it. <laughs> yep. For anyone who has not seen the Deer Hunter, it's got Robert De Niro, Christopher Walken, John Savage, John Cazale, uh, Meryl Streep, all all in this movie that takes place in part in this very working class town in Pennsylvania, kind of near Pittsburgh, and then it also takes place in Vietnam. And a central kind of theme of the movie is these guys, when they're in Vietnam, being forced, they're they're like uh, captives, being forced to play Russian roulette. And people have probably seen the poster, at least, of this movie, which is Robert De Niro with a, a revolver pointed at his head with like a red bandana on. Yeah, it's another one of those movies that, much like uh, Funny Games and the game, again, not uplifting in the least bit, and unlike those movies, is is much longer. It's a, a three-hour epic that has a lot to say about like service and, and trauma and also you know decimation of working-class towns, but it's one like Funny Games or the game that will linger with you for a very long time after you watch it, not only because of the, the scenes with the Russian roulette, which are incredibly intense, but... The way that the movie ends, it ends with a very familiar patriotic song that could not be more depressing or bleak in how it's used, basically. So, yeah, that there's my next uh, high-stakes uh, game pick, I guess, and that's uh, The Deer Hunter. There is There's a movie that I remember watching that is all about a like underground Russian roulette club. 13 Samedi, that's it. 13 Samedi. So if you're looking for Russian roulette movies, that one I will just kind of throw out there as being really good. The one that I am going to throw out as an official pick, though, is a movie from 2019, Ready or Not. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, this was another one that is, I feel like definitely kind of wandered a little bit below the radar. It's about a very, very well-to-do family and the woman who is marrying into it and the unexpected traditions on 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 the eve of this wedding it's super tidy it's 95 minutes bruce in and out i love it yeah so that's my pick ready or not bruce i don't know if this is necessarily a game film but it is one of those cat and mouse things and marathon man with dustin hoffman and Lawrence olivier you gonna allow it jared what do you think I think that fits with some of these other ones we've talked about. Is it safe? It made you never want to go to the dentist again when he got the drill near your teeth. Is it safe? (laughs) Anything else that you'd want to throw on there, Jared? I think we got a lot of the big ones in some form or fashion. Sounds good. High stakes games, and we'll throw bodies, bodies, bodies on there. Should we live in the past? We should not. You should live in the future because starting this Friday, you're going to get a revision of A League of Their Own. And it is not the A League of Their Own that you remember with Tom Hanks and Madonna and Rosie O'Donnell. Even though Rosie O'Donnell is in the new version, <gasps> it's a an expanded look at what that women's professional ba- baseball world was like. And they have jumped kind of uh, from the beginning where they all are trying out and everything to a much different story that they're telling. They're telling actually two stories. They're telling about those who got to be baseball players and those who, because of you know the times, were denied. Um, so there's a racial story that's going on as a parallel story. And you get to see how this very excellent 
baseball player isn't on the team, but what she does in exchange to try and find her niche in the world. It's more daring than you would remember. And it doesn't have the same characters, but um, Abby Jacobson, I think you remember her from, I think it's Broad City. She is one of the producers and the adapters of this. And she thought that it was very good to show, uh, you know, what else was going on during that time. So you're going to see a, a sexuality story that probably isn't um, what you expected from the, after seeing the film, um, because it does get a little, a little adult, shall we say. And um, you'll also see how this other half lives, how the black players or the black potential players try and maneuver in their world and get to the uh, get to the big leagues. But anyway, I talked to a number of the uh, actors from the film, and I believe we have an interview with Abby Jacobson and Shante Adams, who plays the the really good black baseball player. Fantastic. So we will go to that. But before we do that, Jared, send us on our way, my friend. If um, you're just, you know, kicking back, maybe you're having a, a staycation or maybe you're, you know, off on a vacation somewhere, a destination sort of trip and you get a knock at your door and it's uh, two blokes uh, maybe dressed in all white. You know, maybe they got golf clubs with them. Maybe one of them is holding an egg for some reason that you don't uh, entirely understand. Uh, do not, uh, under any circumstances, let them in uh, to your house. Instead, what you're going to do is uh, lock and uh, reinforce the door as much as possible. And then once the, uh, the you know, the doors are all secure, uh, just go ahead and uh, plop down on the couch. Take your mind off of things. Uh, fire up the old TV and, uh, you know, stream something good from the comfort of your own home or, you know, lock all the doors and then maybe sneak out the back, <laughs> drive off uh, away from this uh, hellish place where these two uh, gents are hanging out at and go to your local Cineplex and uh, screen something good. And, and maybe by the time you get back, they'll be gone and they'll be harassing a different family. And it's no longer your problem then. It's always fun watching you just contort yourself halfway through and realize <laughs> that you like put yourself in a strange corner. <laughs> I, I that's what I like to do. I I paint myself into a corner and then I get out of it somehow. That's my move. Stream something good. Screen something good. Up next is Bruce Miller's interview with Abby Jacobson and Shante Adams from A League of Their Own. Stick around for that. You can find us on all the places that you listen to your shows. In the show notes, we'll have links to all the movies that we talked about, links to where you can find the On Iowa Politics podcast. Yes. And previous articles from Bruce Miller, a bunch of his uh, recent stuff. We've got your DVD reviews of Pam and Tommy and uh, a bunch of other good stuff. League of Their Own, you'll read about that too. That should be in there. League of Their Own will be in there. So find all of that there. There will also be links to where you can contact us. But uh, yeah, we'll be back in just a second with... Shante Adams and Abby Jacobson of The League of Their Own. How are you? We're all Good. How are you? <laughs> you guys look so so classy. It's not at all like we're out on the ball field, right? But thank well, you thank so you. much. Yes. yes, that's who we are. Did, did the two of you ever really get to be together during the making of this? No. no. Sadly, we're in two different worlds. We hung out at a Pirates game. Yes, definitely. 
I mean, and would see her around and about occasionally in mm -hmm. hair and makeup or something, but mm -hmm. no. So was it like being in two different series? Yes. Yeah. It's, I've been saying it's, it's so thrilling as an actor, you feel like, I mean, you have this like myopic view of your storyline and the things that you're a part of. And then you get to watch it back and be like, oh my God, they were doing such amazing work over there. All the days that I was, you know, lying in bed and thinking, oh my God, that night shoot was so rough. These guys were like turning it out. <laughs> I mean, uh, unbelievable, unbelievable. And every, every time I would see more than one of them around uh, base camp, they were always laughing, always laughing. And I was like, what are they doing? And so it's been great to see the joy that the peaches get to experience with one another. You were like, why aren't we laughing at our end, right? You know, we, have, well, we, do, we do have some laughs on Max's end, but, but they, they were just always entertaining each other and they were always talking. It was always talking. And I was like, wow, they're just like in it with each other. Can I have you get a little deeper into things? How did this differ from being in Abishola? Oh, well, different time period, different culture, you know, it's American. Uh, but I think the similarities between Eben Olua, who I play in Bob Hart's Abishola, and Tony is that they are both uh, loving mothers and they both are ambitious and they both have set uh, a path for their daughters that their daughters do not follow. <laughs> right, right, right. Isn't that the way it is? That, that is the way it is. So their moms. I bet you were the same way. Oh, yeah. I kind of. Well, yes. Yeah. I can't even fake it. <laughs> <laughs> and Molly, did you, were you looking at some character in the show that you said, oh, this is who my character is? Because I'm, you know, I know who I think you were, but this oh, whole yeah. thing is off the whole tracks. It's not the same at all. You mean the of the movie. film? Yeah. I mean, I think in the beginning, a little bit of all the way May, just in name. And now I'm I'm a, I'm a bad actor. I forget uh, the blonde gal who's crying. There's no crying in baseball. Um, but I think we all decided to put a very new and fresh spin on things. I can't say I had to dig very um, deep to go to some dark places of character development <laughs> to get to the heart of Maybell, which feels very much like me just having a great time with a bunch of girlfriends that I love and getting to fool around. The, the joy is real. So none of that was sort of manufactured for, for character. Did both of you do like backgrounds for your characters? Did you write out a biography for them and who you thought they were? Mm -hmm. I did, but also did the it? scripts provided a mm -hmm. lot. Did it mesh though with what you were doing, but what they were doing too? Did it go, oh yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, I had had a conversation with Desta Ref, one of our um, producers and writers. So she and I had a conversation in the beginning about Tony. And so then I was like, oh, okay. Then I understood uh, the journey that was written for her a bit clearer, but yeah. It's a very collaborative show um, and the writers worked closely with all of us actors and there was a lot of ad-libbing, at least on, on the peaches end of the spectrum. Um, uh, so I think when things didn't quite feel right in, in the mouth, we mm. could say like, hey, I'm thinking about saying it this way. What do you think about that? Yeah. You know what surprised me? There's so many, so many people in your cast 
who have other outside interests. They might be writing music. They might be writing shows. They might be, you know, producing other things. How does that all come together when you're just, I shouldn't say just, but when you're acting? I think, I mean, like Kate Berlant is a comedian. She is unbelievable at ad-libbing. Um, you could just sort of turn a camera on and let her go for it. Uh, so that's, I think so much of her character stems from her comedy. Um, Kelly is an amazing musician. I think that she got to play in the final cut of the show. She'd been playing guitar. I mean, she can truly do it all. Mm. Um, I don't know. Everybody brought a little bit of them of themselves. Yeah. I know Alex Desaire who plays my husband, he's a musician. He's a singer, a lead singer in a ska band. And so he has a musicality about uh, his work that I really enjoyed. I actually, the only time I really ad-libbed was with him, oh, really? not with Max. Yeah. Yeah. It was just oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, where can it go? Uh, infinite possibility of ways, right? Because this show, yeah, I, it's not what you start out with. It becomes a whole different thing. And I think there's even more for you to mind. So please do that. Oh, good. Hope so. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. We will be back next week with more wonderful stuff. House of the Dragon. We're going to be previewing the new She-Hulk as well. For the bonus episode, I'll have a, a conversation with my mom about Sandman. And uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll throw that on. So definitely subscribe to the show. That's the only place that you'll hear it. Thank you all for listening. And thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Jared. Thank you to the listeners. And I am Groot. Put that comic book down. You don't need that.